Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Shining Scholar Education Podcast where we talk about secondary English and language arts tips, strategies, and resources. We'll also share the ups and downs in the wonderful world of teaching. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm a teacher creator here with Shining Scholar Education. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello again, my friends, and thank you for tuning in again to the Shining Scholar Education Podcast. This will be part three of the most inspirational fictional stories for teachers. There might be more parts in the future, but I think for now a nice trilogy is good. If I come across any of the other ones that really are great and just have to be covered and mentioned, I'll make sure to make another series, or at least one more episode. So in this episode, we'll be covering a few more stories, and I'll make sure to link to them in the show notes. The first one I'll just call The Archery Master and the Student. And so it entails a master of a school of archery. The student has become quite proficient with the bow and arrow, and one day he's showing off at a local contest. So everyone's going wild, they're just cheering him on, and he's getting a little bit of an ego. The master, however, was watching, very serious and unimpressed. When everything was over, the student asked the master, Were you not impressed? The master looks at him and says, You have yet to learn that the target is not the target. This is personally one of my favorite stories, because a lot of times whatever we're teaching, not just secondary English, if we're teaching math, social studies, history, science physics, whatever it might be. The subject matter matters, of course, but a lot of it has to do with what the student's learning about themselves, what they're learning about their learning, what they're learning about their likes and dislikes. This next story we'll just call Weather. And again, these are super short stories and they don't have titles, so I'm just kind of calling them by what they're about. So there's a traveler and he asks the shepherd, what kind of weather are we having today? And the shepherd says, the kind I like. And the traveler says, how do you know it'll be the kind of weather you like? And the shepherd says, having found out, sir, that I can't always get what I like, I've learned to always like what I get. So I'm quite sure whatever weather we'll get today, I'll like it. Now there's an attitude to face life with. Imagine that, learning to be happy with what you get. Now it can be a slippery slope and my teacher, entrepreneur self inside tells me, hey, don't settle for average. But at the same time, Maybe it's a fine balance of being happy, what you got that day, but always striving for more in the future, without lacking appreciation for what you have in the present. This next story, I'll just call It Is My Nature, based on a quote from the story. There's two monks washing their bowls in the river when one of them noticed a scorpion was drowning. One monk immediately scooped it up and set it on the bank. In the process, he was stung. So he went back to washing his bowl again, and again the scorpion fell back in. The monk saved the scorpion yet again. And the other monk asked him, Friend, why do you continue to save this scorpion when it's its nature to sting you? And the monk says, Because to save is my nature. Now, I picked this one specifically because there was another story that I always told and really recalled fondly about a poisonous snake that's picked up by a woman. In my version, it was a woman. And she uh, nurses the poisonous snake back to health. And in the end, it bites her. And as she's dying from the poison, she asks him, After all I did for you to save you, you still killed me. And the snake says, You knew I was a snake when you picked me up. Now that, I thought was a wonderful story. I mean, it's just packed with so much meaning and life lessons. But at the same time, now I'm starting to reflect. That was a very Western way of thinking, I think. And this story with the monk and the bulls and the scorpion kind of brings it back around saying, no, 
You don't change based on others' behavior. You keep being you. And that's where the real strength comes from. And now that I think back on my teaching experiences, how many times have I let a negative teacher turn me into a negative teacher? Or how many times have I, or how many times have you been that teacher investing and in trying to help that one student when every other teacher is saying, no, that scorpion's going to sting you. But as the teacher, almost by nature, you want to help. This next one I'll call Traditions. And when the spiritual teacher and his disciples began to meditate, the cat that lived in the monastery started to distract them. So they decided to tie the cat up. Years later, when the teacher died, the cat continued to be tied up while they were meditating. And then the cat eventually died, and another cat was brought into the monastery just to be tied up. Centuries later, many descendants of that teacher continue to write about the significance of tying up a cat for meditation practices. This one really made me reflect on how many things do we do as teachers, as educators, and the education system as a whole, simply because it's always been done that way. How many times do we actually stop and think about our routines and procedures and practices to see, are they valid? Are they effective? Are they trying to get us to our end goal? And are they getting us there? How much of what we do is done just because it's always been done? Until one person stops and says, what's the purpose of this? Maybe it's just a lot of energy and time wasted when there's not really a lot of return. I'm not one to speak against tradition, but when time matters so much, and it does for teachers, especially if you're parents, for anyone really, this story I think has a very deep lesson. This next story we'll call Disease and Disgust, and it tells about a monk who had visitors that came to visit the monastery, and they had leprosy. He admitted them, bathed them, and took care of them. Now, also in the monastery was a visitor, and when he saw the lepers, he was revolted, and in a rush he brought a bowl for the monk to wash his hands after having touched the lepers. But the monk, who is also a Zen master, refused a bowl, and he tells his visitor, your disgust is filthier than their sores. This reminds me of a scene in a great movie called The Motorcycle Diaries, which tells the story of a young Che Guevara as he traveled through South America with his friend on a motorcycle, and he came across a leper colony in Brazil. And it was on a little island, and he was studying to be a doctor. And so when the, other, when the colony's doctors took him there, they kept saying, everybody wear gloves, you know, don't touch them, this and that. And the young Che went up and shook and shook their hands without gloves. And even the lepers looked at each other and said, has no one told you, you know, what you're supposed to do? And he just kind of kept his hand there, waiting to shake. So it's a powerful message. And yes, even though it might be a human instinct to be revolted by these kind of things, look at the power that comes with being able to see beyond that. This next story I'll call, It's All About Perspective. And it's similar to the one we told in part one about the frogs traveling through the forest. There's a wise Zen master frog explaining to the younger frogs about the balance of nature. And he says, do you see how that fly eats the gnat? Now watch me as I eat the fly. And he eats the fly. He said, it's all part of the great scheme of things. And one of his frog students says, isn't it bad to kill something in order for us to live? And the Zen master frog says, well, it depends. He began when all of a sudden a snake ate him from behind. And his students shouted, depends on what? And the frog from inside the snake's belly continues, it depends on whether you're looking at things from the inside or the outside. Now that's a master that's dedicated to his teaching. Even after being eaten, he's still teaching. 
I think what I really enjoyed most about that story was the objectivity in which the frog looked at his life and his teachings. It was almost like he was detached from any sort of result or outcome that came to his life, which could be bad. It could lead to bad things. I can see that. But you have to admire that quality in someone remaining calm in the face of death, really. This next story I'll call The Weight of Pains, and it's two monks traveling down a muddy road, and it's raining very, very heavily, and it continues to rain. So they're coming around a bend, and they see a lovely girl in a silk kimono and sash, and she's unable to cross through the muddy intersection. One of the monks, named Tanzan, carries her across the muddy passage and sets her on the other side. And the other monk remains silent until that night. He finally spoke. We monks are not supposed to go near females, especially not young and lovely ones. It is dangerous. Why did you do that? And Tanzan replies, I left the girl there. Why are you still carrying her? How many things do we carry that have been put down long ago? but we're still mentally carrying that weight. I forgot where I heard that quote, but it was sometimes memories are harder than any weight and rock you can carry. And that's, that's pretty deep, considering something psychological could affect you so much physically. And the second to last story is by our friend Aesop, and it's a fable about the crow and the pitcher. It tells about a crow that comes across a pitcher that has a little bit of water at the very bottom. And the crow's very thirsty, but he can't reach it. He tries and tries with his beak, and he can't reach it. So, crafty as he was, he flies away and gets a pebble, and he drops it in the pitcher. And he flies away and gets another one. And little by little, he's raising the water levels until it's finally within reach of his beak. He drinks, he's satisfied, and he flies off. Now, how many of us would have been one of those other crows that didn't think to get the pebble, Worse yet, you think to get the pebble, but you don't. How many dreams have not been acted upon just because we didn't want to put in the work? Or just because it seemed like it was out of reach? That really made me think. When you come across a problem, like they say, when there's a will, there's a way. And last but not least, which I wanted to finish off with a bang, I don't know where the origins of this story comes from, but it's a powerful one. And I'll call it the blind man in the well. And it's about a blind man and he's walking around and two other men see him. And he's about to walk and probably fall into the well to his death. And one of the men rushes to stop him. And he does and he rescues him. And when he goes back, his friend says, why did you go through all that trouble? You don't even know him. Plus he's blind. And the man says, if you see someone that's blind, that doesn't see what's coming in front of them. Is it not your duty as the one with vision to help? Now, I'm not saying our students are blind, but like many like to quote over and over, they don't necessarily have the prefrontal cortex developed quite yet. And if they don't have that forethought, it's not that they're not intelligent enough. It's just that they haven't developed that amount of not only hindsight, but foresight. And we, as the ones with visions that have gone through that. Now, I'm not saying talk down to them or speak like you know everything or that they're going to follow in your exact footsteps or that just because it happened to us, it's going to happen to them. No, that doesn't necessarily follow. But if we can see the bigger picture and they can't yet, isn't it our duty to help them 
get a little closer to that picture, especially when that picture is about their life. Maybe we can see somewhat of what they'll be in the future, and that's where we want to get them. But helping them realize it is the beautiful challenge that lies within teaching. Because you're not just a teacher. We're coaches, we're counselors, we're friends, we're soundboards, we're ears to listen, we're role models, and we're partners in learning. So that wraps up the best inspirational fictional stories for teachers. I hope you found some wisdom or at least some inspiration in any, in any of these stories. I'll make sure to link to the stories in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, if it brought any value to you, please give us a shout out on Instagram at shining underscore scholar underscore education or find us on Twitter at shining scholar. And if you'd really like to help us out, think of three people that could benefit from this podcast episode or any other one of our episodes and help this podcast grow because it's made for teachers by teachers. This is your host, Charlie, signing off, teachers. Thank you again for everything you do and keep changing the world. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, share, and consider leaving a review. It really does help. We make resources for teachers by teachers. Check us out at shiningscholareducation.com and at our Teachers Pay Teachers store as well. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at shiningscholareducation at gmail.com to share any questions or topics you'd like on the show. Thank you for all you do, teachers, and keep changing the world.